we often mention to folks uh, to go to the website and each day we have a thought. And uh, on what was it, maybe uh, Monday we had, or Tuesday, we had Hannah Rent and uh, Jim, you mu- or, or Jim, <laughs> I don't know your name anymore. <laughs> Who are you? Where am I? That's a good place to start. My name is Timothy Vercola. You're Paul Jacob. This is This Week in Common Sense. We are starting this podcast now. Hey, Tim, I think you should read uh, one of the thoughts this week, the one on Tuesday by Hannah Arendt, uh, because we talk so much about free speech and media and so on. But she makes uh, a pretty important point, especially as we head faster into a world of a lot of authoritarian and totalitarian folks. Well, here's what she wrote. The moment we no longer have a free press, anything can happen. What makes it possible for a totalitarian or any other dictatorship to rule is that people are not informed. How can you have an opinion if you are not informed? If everybody always lies to you, the consequence is not that you believe the lies, but rather that nobody believes anything any longer. And we're really close to that point, I think. Yes. And and that's what, you know, it's not that, um, boy, you know, people are going to just make it up as they go. Some people will, but many people are desperately searching for some sort of, you know, I get asked all the time, what source can I go to that will tell me the truth that I can trust? And it's pretty tough to find a source. I mean, I think there are some people, I, I think a lot of Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and, and, uh, and there are others, um, but it's you have to be very diligent and it helps to get more than one you know uh, media story on almost any story because you want to kind of compare them when you think of totalitarianism it it does you know I, I think of the Weimar Republic in Germany and I think there were just a lot of folks thinking everything's out of control someone has to get a handle on it and talk a lot about in this country, you know, this this idea that, well, we'll just let people steal a certain amount. What can you do about it? And that creates this sort of chaotic environment that people kind of throw up their hands and at some point say, I just want security and safety. And um, and and I think when you have a media that that drives these different narratives, it's uh, you you really do see how a country can spiral into, you know, a a more authoritarian regime, a totalitarian regime. Uh, That's it's the wrong direction, (laughs) no matter how far you go. You can look at it, you can say, well, as we often so often hear, Facebook's a private company, you know, even though it's getting all kinds of money from the government, all kinds of collusion and everything else. But the, the point being that somehow if it's private, who can worry about it? Now, private entities have rights to do things that public entities don't because public entities are using all of our tax dollars and, and so on, and they work for us. But a lack of information is a problem, even if it is totally privately being blocked. And so, you know, and, and I think she points that out here, that it's it's not just that, 
oh, the government censored something. If somehow through private means, folks who don't want us to know things can block us from knowing them, that's a big, big, big problem. And of course, as we regularly show at thisiscommonsense.org, in a lot of different ways that we've gone at this story, this isn't just private entities acting in their own private interest. This is a huge amount of collusion between the deep state, between media, between social media. We know from the Twitter files and other things and, and more recent disclosures that they're talking all the time with Facebook and asking them to censor things for the government. That's a big, big problem. One way that free speech can go and people can no longer share opinions is if people are persecuting each other for their opinions. You have to let others be and have their opinions. And as soon as the mob, and it could be mobs that do it, just like mobs of rioters can destroy order in a society. It doesn't have to be government that's dictatorial. It can be pure chaos. Similarly with mob action, I think if mobs can suppress opinions, then uh, that's a society that's no longer free. And uh, that's that's a point I think that, you know, my our comrades don't always get, because we've always been fighting big government. But what happens when sectors of society just will not live and let live, when they will demand conformity to whatever they believe? And that's just, that's that's the end of civil society at the point. Our Friday script, you in your whiteness, and that is in quotes, because it's what a race uh, diversity trainer in Canada uh, was berating a man, principal, fill-in principal. He retired, I think, and come back to work in the school system and went to one of these training sessions and was, you know, basically told he was a white supremacist. And they got in a big fight about whether Canada is more racist than the United States. And he said he didn't think so. And she told him it was. And who? what does he know? He's white and he's a white supremacist and so on. And it's all really funny and crazy. Uh, but here's the problem. He didn't take it so well. He was ostracized. He lost his job in the end. He wasn't renewed. He committed suicide. He's no longer with us. He's dead. And... I mentioned in this piece we've and we've done this a couple of times in, in recent weeks and I'm sure it'll, it'll come again because I think almost anybody who thinks about history and thinks about the way that we're dealing with race now in this country, the way we're dealing with other things like like trans issues and some of the different school issues is as if we lived in Mao's China and it's the Cultural Revolution. And the Cultural Revolution was not only about humiliating and beating up people and and so on. It was also about killing them. Uh, it was just a vicious, vicious thing where, in essence, the Communist Party in China at Mao's brilliant uh, instigation would create a situation in which all of a sudden this, this group was bad and we've got to go get all the people whose great-grandparents were property owners and landlords and then, you know, all of a sudden, no, oh, no, that that group overstepped and they're in trouble. And by in trouble, we mean they're being hounded and beaten in the streets and killed. That's like real trouble. And uh, and we haven't seen that yet. But 
when you see, you know, years ago we saw during the the uh, uh, stuff after uh, uh, George Floyd, um, we did see people being berated at at uh, restaurants and told they better say certain things or they might be in trouble and you know they might get punched in the face and and that isn't beaten to death. So you know we got a leg up on uh on uh you know 60s and 70s china but that's not any place we want to live it's not any place that we have lived i've lived for six decades in this uh in this country it's never been like that thank goodness and and so uh you know man, this is a it's a scary world we're living in and we'll continue to bring stories like this because so much of it is folks who've grabbed control and it's not enough for them to, you know, say their piece. They want to force everyone else to believe it or else. And that is not an American concept. Uh, and let's not let it become one. There was uh, there was another piece I encourage people to go read. Uh, Won't come a knocking about uh, the fact that the IRS says now they're not going to just you know, go make random visits to people and try to scare them. Uh, only if they, you know, it's a criminal type thing, will they make uh, home visits. Although they seem to leave just a little wiggle room. And uh, part of this is recently Matt Taibbi uh, was testifying in Congress uh, about Twitter files and all the different suppression of speech by the federal government. And uh, on that day, uh, the IRS knocked on his door, or or maybe it was the the day before, or, or but right at that same time, the IRS is coming to his door, and uh, I think a lot of people picked up on that that that's not the kind of country we want to live in either. Gee, but you're over too. Let's keep working on it. You know, uh, I didn't realize that the IRS did that at all. Because they tell you, for instance, they will not call you if they've not given you a notice in the mail. There's a lot of scams out there. People pretending to be the IRS, people pretending to help you with the IRS. Yes. And the, the IRS assures us they will not, you know, just randomly call us and uh, without first giving us warning. Uh, this seems worse than a telephone call. Yes. Yes. You can just imagine a couple of people on your doorstep. It's intimidating and it's, and, you know, sometimes it has to happen, but to use it as a means of intimidation is, is un-American and wrong. And, you know, it, it's, it's everything we don't want the IRS to do. We also had a, uh, a piece this week that uh, I was not aware of this story. I think it was you who, who uh, brought this story to my attention. Nigel Farage, who uh, was the big Brexit guy, and basically, you know, they decided that, uh, you know, he was he was some sort of uh, ter terrorist, um, you know, and and all of a sudden he wasn't going to get, you know, he wasn't going to be able to bank and they're closing his accounts, I think. And and uh, and it ends up being basically uh they they the the uh, government and then the BBC in in spreading this is is treating him as if he's some sort of terrorist when he's done absolutely nothing wrong except uh he favored brexit 
he favored not being a part of the European Union instead of being a part of it. That was a BBC apologizes banker squirm uh, for Tuesday. And we should mention yeah. this is the uh, website to look at. We're always telling them to, to go to the website, and that's this is commonsense.org. We've seen that deplatforming. And when you're deplatforming, you know, banking and other things like that, uh, you know, again, you see the the this ugly dystopian future where if the government, you know, has the power, they can push a button and then, you know, your car is driving to the police station and you, you're all of a sudden you have no money in the world. And, you know, this is this is not the world we want to live in. So that leaves two pieces left. Uh, yes. On Monday, there was truth, compassion, and forbearance. And on Thursday, there was not having it. And I want to uh, deal with truth, compassion, and forbearance first, which is uh, Falun Gong. Uh, that's that's their principles. Um, and I, I often tell people when I talk about the Uyghurs that this is a genocide going on in China uh, by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. I like to call them the Chinazis because I think that's more accurate title uh, uh, or label, but uh, that's not their first genocide. And and I guess you could argue, you know, with with this is a religious thing, so maybe it's not genocide. Maybe it's whatever whatever religious side or or, or whatever. But this is an attempt to wipe out a religion, and. It was the 24th anniversary of China deciding to clamp down on Falun Gong. And it, it's basically a, a, a Buddhist type spiritual belief uh, that truth is good, that you should keep your body clean, uh, that you should love, love your neighbor. Um, nothing in the slightest frightening to anyone except a genocidal totalitarian maniac um, or a group of genocidal totalitarian maniacs and that is the CCP in China and very quickly there were 70 million uh, some people said as, as many as 100 million uh, Falun Gong practitioners in China and that's when the CCP decided they had to clamp down and they've clamped down by or basically making it illegal to be a member, to say anything about it, to do anything about it, arresting people who are uh, practitioners, torturing them, killing them, selling their organs. And this starts to get into an area where, for the most part, the West, the media in the West hasn't wanted to deal with it. Because you've got to say hard truths, which is that it's pretty obvious. Numerous tribunals have looked into it. They've all come to the conclusion that the Chinese uh, organ transplant system is using a captive audience of transplants, political prisoners. Chinese authorities have admitted that in the past they have used political prisoners. They've never quite admitted that it was Falun Gong people, but of course, Falun Gong folks have really nice organs because they exercise and they don't eat bad things and so on. And uh, in most places in the world, it's very tough to get organs. And of course, uh, Chinese culture is such that you would expect it to be tougher 
to get organs in in China than in your average place, at least according to cultural norms and and uh, and so on. But in much of the world, it's very difficult to get an organ. In China, you fly in, they they got it for you. I mean, it's it's like fast food organs, and these tribunals have again and again said they believe that they're using prisoners and Falun Gong prisoners, uh, but other prisoners too. Um, you know, stop smoking, get back in your cell. We may we may need those lungs. Um, and this is this is of course a crime against humanity, but it, it it's not even like your run of the mill crime against humanity. And it's just so sickening to think about, and then to also consider that very little has been said about it in the West. Very little has been made about it. Um, and and it goes to a whole long line of things. For instance, I think a lot of people in the West, you mentioned Falun Gong, or they don't know anything about it. And uh, this is this is really the the viciousness and the the you know desire to just wipe out people. It reminds you of the Nazis, and that's why in in Hong Kong they they refer to the CCP as China Nazis, and I think it's the most accurate title. And and I don't necessarily know every solution to fix the problem, but I know this wholly, and that is. You can't pretend your way to safety when you're dealing with totalitarian nightmare Nazis. And and so we have to stop doing that. And I I, I hope that uh, next year on the 25th anniversary of the genocide against Falun Gong, totally peaceful, innocent people in China, uh, and of course, then all over the world. Because now they're they're in the U.S. and they're everywhere else with these police stations and with other folks hiring police and thugs. Uh, the the Chinese are all over the world still harassing Falun Gong people and harassing Uyghurs and others because they don't want them to talk about them killing their their relatives. They don't want they don't want this out. Um, so this is uh, I I think this was uh, it's not like we had any brilliant scoop on this. We just recognized the 24th anniversary with the realization that the 25th is going to roll around in a year and that this is a genocide that has largely been ignored. And and it just, you know, once you know these things about China, you have to look at what should our policy be with China in a different way. And when they say that, well, we're trying to get our policy smooth over relations with China, you start to think, well, don't make them too smooth because that means probably you're rolling over to ignore some new terrible thing they're doing. So that leaves only one more piece for the week. We were going through pretty swift this episode, uh, not having it on Thursday. This is about Hunter Biden. And of course, Hunter Biden is a famous guy. He's kind of a piece of work if he was just anybody's son, but he's the president's son. And of course, this isn't really a story about Hunter Biden. It's a story about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is, is, you know, Joe isn't clueless about what's going on. Anybody in their right mind has known that for a long time. And um, uh, 
but he has maintained for a long time, of course, that he's never discussed it with his son, which just doesn't sound like Joe Biden. You know, he discusses everything. He's supposed to be very close with his son. Why wouldn't he discuss it? Well, it turns out, of course, that he's had all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, dealings with his son's business, meeting people who, you know, are, are doing business with his son. And what is his son's business? Well, what does what does that business do? It it has he has no skills. It doesn't do anything. I mean, he, he's a great painter, I hear, but uh, you know, a tremendous artist. But uh, he he wasn't painting pictures for Burisma and the Chinese uh, bank and so on and so on. Uh, he's he's got no skill set to offer. This is one hundred percent bribery. It, it just has looked that way to any sensible person from the first second they heard about it. And of course, he's got Hunter on Air Force Two, even if, you know, when he was vice president, even if he never spoke to him, what would you put him on your plane for? Um, at the taxpayer's plane, actually, it wasn't Joe Biden's personal uh, plane. But this story, uh, not having it, is not about me not having it. It's really uh, about uh, a U.S. district judge. Mary Ellen Narika, I think I got somewhat close to her name, and uh, and she looked at this plea deal that the government had put together, and it boy it came apart fast. And what what's interesting about this deal is one in the Washington Post. Now the Washington Post coverage, I don't think we linked to that, but. But it's it's the run of the mill Washington Post coverage. It was all over the map about all kinds of things on this that just struck me as not really. It's like you want to tell us a lot of different parts of the story, but not the actual story about why this went in the toilet real quick. And that's because they're very pro Biden and they don't want us to know. But there was one little part in this Washington Post piece that I thought was interesting, and it was. I didn't see it until after we had put this piece to bed. So it's not in uh, the uh, not having it at thisiscommonsense.org script. And and that was they said that um, the government's attorneys were asked by the judge, is there any precedent for this sort of plea agreement? To which the government said no. Now, so much of this case and reporting about this case has been listening to what's her name, the, the person who who is just this is the worst. This is the worst press secretary ever. Uh, it's just and they, they've all been terrible, but somehow she's found a new low level of terrible. But but, uh, you know, they, they constantly, you know, they don't want to they don't want to you know, talk about this, but it's all been done according to the procedures and we had no influence and blah, blah, blah. And, and this is the way there's been no special treatment. And yet there's a plea deal for the president's son that everyone's already saying is a sweetheart deal. And the government admits that there's literally no precedent in hundreds of years of American history and juro jurisprudence, no precedent whatsoever. That's like saying, yes, the president's son is getting special treatment. How special? 
the only person in the history of America who's gotten this sweetheart deal. Why a situation? Yes, yes, it it really is. And, and of course, what's more, the most embarrassing thing is that is that, that the media has no interest in it. And they, it just, it, this should not have taken this long for someone. I mean, now how can you ignore it? You have to almost be complicit in the crime to ignore it. And, and the media, for the most part, is ignoring it. But really, from, from day one, come on, why is Hunter on Air Force Two? Really? You never talked to him about any of this? Because I'll bet someone from the Obama administration talked to you about what the heck is going on. I mean, it, the looks are so bad that prudent, sensible people would not let it go on if it was above board. And come on, all these Biden members, millions of dollars comes in and goes to them. And then the Democrats just say, well, there's no evidence. I mean, they just told you the evidence. Yeah, but I ignored it. So since I ignored it all successfully, no evidence at all. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that's the that's the new way is just to you know just stonewall. That's yes. that's because people expect that if evidence is given, that there's some acknowledgement and an attempt to refute it. But if you don't acknowledge it and you don't refute it, then you can just say, well, there's no evidence because I, I didn't acknowledge it. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting ploy. We've talked about this before because this goes back a long way. I mean, I think Reagan did something pretty similar with Iran-Contra. Uh, that was my memory, is that just stonewalling, you know, just not accepting yes. it. Yes, yes. And he was riding so high in popularity and he's getting to the end of his term. And so he could he could not only, you know, he could stonewall in a pretty successful way. That And, and it's not as if, different than Biden and Trump and Clinton, the Dems didn't see any upside to trying to impeach Reagan. They would have, they would have, you know, they would have basically decided to go to war in an arena where he's a lot better at it than they are. And, uh, and so he didn't, I don't think he faced any of the same sorts of things. And I think today, I think that was a, a saner time, uh, not necessarily uh, so much better politically. I don't want to give it too much credit, but but um, there's a knee jerk to impeachment, uh, you know. And and part of it maybe is that they have gotten so used to all the corrupt deals and so on that that they just you know they can't hide their corruption as well. And so somebody's already already got something. But you know, you look at 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 Trump's. Um, you know, uh, two uh, uh, impeachments, and you know they went after him forever on on uh, uh, the Russian collusion, and never had anything to do and and go to impeachment. They were constantly going to impeach him on that, and then they had the uh, the the witness on the phone call with Iran or with Iran with U Ukraine, and uh, and isn't it interesting that we've had both. The last two presidents embroiled in corrupt dealings with Ukraine, and we're at war in Ukraine. Um, it's it, you know, it, it, it's like this week I saw, and we'll, maybe we'll mention something about it in the script next week. Um, we saw uh, Mitch McConnell have 19 seconds of just 
like like he was having a stroke. And, you know, I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell and I'm no fan of most of these guys in Congress. And so it'd be it'd be fun to make fun of them just because they deserve it. But there, there's nothing fun. There's no fun in making fun of Mitch McConnell on those 19 seconds. Um, this is called life and death and aging and so on. These are all serious things. They're not abnormal. They're normal, but they're serious. And we're all going to die someday. And it stinks. But but we have a, I mean, we're leading in the free world. And we have people in hugely important positions who seem out of it. Like they have dementia or they just, they're just not up to it. And a lot of us have seen this with our parents. We love them. And the fact that they're out of it for a minute doesn't, it doesn't make them a stupid person. It doesn't make them a bad person. It makes them a, a fallible person, a frail person like we all are. And that we live in a, in a society where there was, there was a, 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 uh, what is the the B the, the funny people uh, Babylon, Babylon B. B? There was a there was a picture, and they're looking at their elderly parent, and the headline is something like, "We couldn't decide whether to put Grandpa in in hospice or something, or in a rest home, or to run him for the U.S. Senate." Um, and this idea of running people um, and the Featherman or whatever from Pennsylvania, you know, comes to mind. He's not that old. Um, He's but, 10 years younger than me. Yeah, but he was out of it, and, and he got elected to the U.S. Senate. We are now running people for office that the people voting for them pretty much recognize they're physically and mentally unable to do this job. But they're the best alternative we have because the other person is fit and able, and, and we don't want them doing the job, I guess. Um, this is, it, it, we, you, you can't, you can't have a modern society run by people who are, you know, basically, uh, have no, no mental faculties left. And, uh, and with, with Biden, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, there are days, <laughs> he's got his good days and his bad days, um, it seems, but. But this isn't just Biden. This is all over the place. This is all over the place. Um, I mean, the, the House, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee can't go on because Diane Feinstein's, what, 90 years old or about to be 90. And uh, and she's she's sickly. At like a lot of people are when they're about to be 90. And she's been notoriously out of it in one big episode recently. Just recently they had her on tape where someone said, just say I. <laughs> and then she said, I, so, I mean, this is, this is our democracy. This is insane. And, uh, I'm working some, I'm, I'm still on the board of us term limits and Liberty initiative fund sometimes works on term limits and, and in conjunction with us term limits. And there's a group, the group in North Dakota that did, uh, uh, term limits for their state legislature last year, 2022 in November that was passed is doing an age limit for members of Congress. And there's nobody in North Dakota who's yet about to hit the age limit. They, their limit would be 
uh, 81. If, if by the end of your term, you'll be 81 years old or older, you cannot run and serve in that office. And nobody would be knocked out in North Dakota. And Jared Hendricks, who heads up the effort there, said uh, it, it was his view that it was important to do it when nobody would misconstrue that it's somehow aimed at one person or another. It's just we've got to do something so that, you know, our gerontocracy uh, doesn't doesn't completely screw up the uh, the uh, golden goose or the uh, the great bald eagle or whatever. Well, I mean, the problem really, though, is that the younger generation leaders, those of Gen X and especially uh, the millennials, are of such bad quality. They have no capacity to lead because we've reached a place in our history where there is no consensus, even in the two parties, on what direction to go. No one knows what to do, really. I mean, people have ideas, but there's no, I mean, remember that Democratic uh, uh, slate in 2019? There's all those all those people on the stage, uh, Kamala Harris, right. Tulsi Gabbard, Jay. Uh, uh, J- Jay Inslee from my state. Oh, what a what a low low pick that Does, would have been. Doesn't he still have parts of Washington State to destroy? Oh, he's working he... on it really hard. He can't run again. But, uh, Thank but God. Uh, yeah, Thank he's God he's, for term he's terrible. But he was terrible during the COVID. Uh, but there was just all this, and he's he's, he's increased the uh, taxes on gasoline so high that we're they have the highest gasoline prices in the, in the, right. the 50 And of course days. his re, his replacement may be what's his name? Ferguson, your attorney general, who is even worse than Ensley in, Probably. in my world. Yeah. I don't know anything about him because I didn't, you know, I don't vote Democrat anymore at all. These people are nuts. Uh, and, and they got all got really low returns. I mean, we got Joe Biden because, People could agree on him that he had something going for him. He was once vice president of the United States, and that's you know that's sort of a little seal of approval there. So I mean that's kind of that seemed a little bit what it was like. And of course the he DNC. Got, I, I yeah. think Joe Biden didn't scare anybody. Now he I shouldn't say that because he scared me, and he right. still does. But but he didn't. He was. I mean I've never seen what happened in in twenty twenty. I've never seen that happen before. Joe Biden is does not have a lock on it. Um, he's won, you know, it looks like he's going to win some of the Southern primaries and he won South Carolina and so on. But there's a lot of fear that Bernie Sanders is going to take it. And even among people who don't like Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden certainly doesn't have all the support. And literally over the weekend before Super Tuesday, everybody gets out. Everybody gets out and endorses Joe Biden. Just about everybody. Buttigieg does. Uh, who else? I'm going to forget the people. Well, Elizabeth that, Warren that, did uh, belatedly after she took votes away from Bernie, right? She stayed in. You're right. She got out after that. But she stayed in through Super Tuesday and through Massachusetts, knowing surely, because they do polling, oh, yeah. knowing she was going to come in third, not second, but third in her home state, and yet she stayed in. And I think because the deal with her wasn't, hey, get out and endorse um, Biden, it was stay in and keep sucking votes from Bernie while we give it to Biden. And the fear was, if Bernie gets it, 
Trump's going to call him a communist. <laughs> and of course, he, he sort of is. And, uh, and, and Bernie can't win. So they just circled the wagon. So Biden, Biden was the guy that people didn't hate that much. That was his claim to fame. He was the guy that was kind of acceptable to everybody, especially because he's not really all there. and He probably won't serve out like when he started. I did not think he would finish this first term. I just physically, you know, it's a tough job. And I just didn't think Biden would would make it through. And I, was, uh, I had the same idea. Yeah. In fact, I thought they'd they'd put it, uh, get him out right after the point where so they get you know two terms and a little bit more for uh, for, for Kamala. But so she could serve. But years, the problem yeah. was is that every, it, they didn't realize how much everybody hates Kamala Harris. Uh, that is, they don't trust her. Americans don't. I don't think she could win an election. Uh, so, so there's that. No. No, I mean she's unlikable. I mean she's not believable as a human being. Even that that, that cackle is just not <laughs> not saleable. I mean I think people would rather see Biden, you know, call people you know weird names and and, and get really angry <laughs> like an old man who can't understand what's going on, than see somebody who's definitely uh, intelligent enough to do the job in the sense that she could be the puppet as well as biden could but she's just unlikable you can't have an unlikable person that unlikable uh though i never really understood how anyone could like hillary so there's there's that well that look uh you know give hillary some credit for trump's victory in 2016 sure somebody else somebody yeah. else might be but really the democrats should should take the bow for this because they're the one who, ones who were enthusiastically selecting her and uh, the Democratic voters are responsible for Trump and they're responsible for Biden. Uh, it's not and, anyone else. And, it, and I think the media, most of all, is and, and you know, sometimes when we well, say the yeah. Democrats and yeah. the media, we're repeating well, sure. ourselves. But but the, I think there was a and I'm, I'm not saying they met and had secret decoder rings and it was that sort of conspiracy. But folks on the left in the media wanted donald trump to win the republican nomination oh, sure. they worked on it i mean that was that was and, a hillary clinton plan yes and and the name for it that, we, that you've used but i don't remember the name for the plan was oh that's right there is actually some name there's a name for, for that plan i just don't yeah. remember it but you know i i used to sometimes in the morning uh scoot over to uh click over to uh uh morning joe and they just loved Donald Trump. They had him on all the time. They just loved him. And then he wins the Republican nomination and he's a white supremacist and an evil, terrible, arrogant, uh, you know, jerk. And and it was like night and day overnight. Yeah, it was a that was something they shouldn't have wished for. They didn't realize how much, you know, actually, I think they honestly didn't realize how much people hate Hillary. And and they should have. They should understand. They should know their their conservative friends. Hillary was hated by a third of the population of the United States. And when you put up a hated official to to vote for, that's a very yes. dangerous yes. thing to do. And so, it used to be that you didn't put up people that were hated, right? You know, so viscerally. Here's what they. I think they knew that the right hated Hillary Clinton. What they didn't realize is that millennial women 
could not stand her either. And there are, I know so many women the age of my daughters who did not vote, who were, who were Democratic voters pretty solidly, who voted for Jill Stein or who voted for the Libertarian or who voted for somebody other than Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I think a lot of that was hit. They didn't have trouble pulling the lever. They didn't like Biden. They thought Biden was an idiot. But they didn't have trouble pulling the lever for him because they didn't hate him. But they they just so despised Hillary, they could not pull the lever for her. And, and I'm not sure where that came from. Because, I mean, there were little kids when when Bill was in the White, White House doing stupid stuff. And, and she was helping him or doing her own stupid stuff. Well, that sounds like we've covered a week. A week of our lives. These are the weeks of our lives. Yes, very good. Um, remember, that was the week that was. We don't have a good pianist to play songs, the funny songs in it, so it's a pity. <laughs> we'll have one by next week, I'm sure. Yeah, well, we can always recycle Tom Lehrer stuff. All right, well, thank you, Tim, and and uh, we'll we'll be back with more next week. And I I think we will be talking a little bit uh, one day on I'll, I'll probably do a commentary about this North Dakota initiative and and some of the uh, tension that that it's getting that uh, we have a government that's kind of so and it is just is 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 just so weak and and uh, so many people will. You know, talk about well, I don't know about age limits and and term limits are a lot better. What we really need are term limits because we wouldn't have these problems. Um, I, I hate to say to somebody who's eighty two years old and in great shape and has a sharp mind and wants to run for Congress for the first time that they can't run. Um, but I also don't want people in who who you know because of their incumbency can. Until they're 90 years old and completely unable to do anything. They got somebody else actually deciding what their vote is. Um, but it does, one of the nice things about the age limit debate is it shows how perverted our politics is becoming, just more and more ridiculous. Because the people who supposedly work for us won't do the one reform that Democrats, Republicans, independents, across the board, everyone likes which is just about everyone, which is term limits. And they won't do that. And so we have a government of 80 and 90-year-old people who, you know, constantly have a little bit of trouble. Well, so we're in a lot of trouble because of that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Tim. Goodbye. Bye.